Welcome to the Lazy People Podcast, the podcast about all things technology and people and technology in Belgium, of course, from outside of Belgium. My name is Errol Baikal, and I'm here with my co-host, Metzian. Welcome. Bart Gijskes is uh, with us again, the second time he's on our uh, podcast. Uh, in the previous season, uh, Bart uh, was kind enough to explain to us what Agile actually means. Um, looking at the statistics from uh, from our listeners, it was actually uh, it is actually one of our most popular uh, episodes. Um, uh, it's nice. in the I think it's in the top three of most streamed. So there you go. Um, it turns out a lot of people really wanted to know what Agile means. And uh, for those of you that missed that episode, you can go back and listen to that one. But um, w- uh, with us today, again, is Bart Gijskes, and he will tell us today uh, which steps people can take to actually implement Agile. Bart, uh, please uh, introduce yourself again and um, inform- you know, enlighten us. Yeah, all right, Edel. Uh, so I am currently a functional analyst, and in the past, I mainly worked as an Agile coach or a scrum master uh, depends on how you want to look at it Um, and that gave me a lot of insight because i worked for a couple companies in typically what is the best approach in implementing agile stuff and like you said last session we talked in depth about the the core problem that agile wants to solve because agile is an an umbrella term let's say and actually um, i think it's cool that a lot of people are interested in the last podcast because I also got a lot of feedback from people telling me that they expected something entirely different from the podcast. They thought it was going to be more about sprints and scrum and Kanban. And they were really a bit surprised that it was such a low level approach. Like I was just talking about communication and that's the issues that we want to solve. Um, so they were really still interested in, okay, but how do we get this thing going? So um, the first tip or the first uh, Wait, step... I'm sorry to, sorry? Sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you. Maybe um, it would be good to, to start with a, a recap, like a season, uh, right. season one recap uh, sure. for the people, like a, a refresher of you know, what, what, what is Agile? Yeah, so what we discussed last time is basically... Um, it's a communication issue. You either misunderstand your customer or you misunderstand your market or, as is true for a lot of consultants in Belgium, we misunderstand our client because he wants to have something built and we misunderstand what he actually wants to have built. It can also be because the customer, him or herself, doesn't understand um the core of her or, of, or his problem. So it's usually about misunderstanding or um, making assumptions that turn out to be wrong. But it is, not. it is about uh, communication with the, the outside world. So it's not really about internal team communications. No, it can also be internal um, because let's say I'm your customer. I tell you my requirements. You go to a developer and you misunderstood what I was saying. So you tell the developer something that I didn't want per se, or uh, it can also be between developers 
that you have some miscommunication going on there. And some HR practices help that as well. So it's just miscommunication, let's say, in general, misalignment. Uh, but it's all, it all comes back to communication or mm-hmm. uh, making assumptions. Basically. It's, it's like those uh, romantic comedy movies, you know. In the end, it's all about miscommunication, right? Like, yeah. hey, you know, just it's a misunderstanding. You, you guys love each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Agile is, is just one big FCA de Campuna episode. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you, you are going to uh, start off with some tips on, um, yeah. on how so, to increase uh, agility. Is, is, did, I, did I use that correctly? Like That's actually the, the best possible term you could use. Wow. Because... Um, well, the first thing is if you truly feel like, okay, I understand what Agile is trying to solve and I feel a need for that solution in my company, then what is the first thing you want to do is depending on where you are in that company, what your place is in the company. Are you working within a team and you're actually building the product or are you more on an organizational level where you need to uh, organize and and supervise teams and stuff, that's, then your first step might change. Um, because let's start from somebody who works inside a team. Then you don't have much power to change things on an organizational level. So it's very important to get together with your team and talk some things through. Like, do we all agree on these are, for in our context, the most important problems that we want to solve? Make sure that you're aligned with all your team members on what it is that we want to solve before you start thinking about how are we going to solve it. Um, for everybody who works in an organization that wants to change things, you will find that changing uh, things brings out a reaction. And that can be positive or a negative reaction. Like people can um, counteract what you're trying to do, or people can um, support you in what you want to do and work together with you in what you want to achieve. And I'm calling it a positive or a negative reaction, but it's a bit black and white because not all change is good change per se. But you can expect reaction anyway so as an individual who works in a team it's very important to make sure that you are a true team that everybody has the same vision because when you're going forward and you meet some pushback the pushback will be easier handled when you can tackle it with an entire team than as, as an individual so with a team you can negotiate but as an individual you often have to beg so that's why I always think it's very important to make sure within your team that at least you are agreed upon what is the problem we want to solve. And then you can talk about how do you want to solve it. Because there might be other ideas in how you want to solve it, but as long as everybody's talking about the same problem, um, then usually things get going in a productive manner. Um, so that's the very first step. Now I was talking when about. When you say this, sorry, I just want to respond mm-hmm. to this. Like when mm-hmm. you say this, it seems like such an obvious thing, mm-hmm. but it isn't. Then no, because what you see a lot of times is uh, developer A says, "Oh, I'm going to do it like this," and developer B says, "Yeah, I don't really agree with it," and um, they have more talk about should we do it or not instead of 
okay, does everybody agree that this is the problem that we want to solve? Um, also, maybe somebody proposes, let's say we should do sprints. Somebody else proposes we should do Kanban, but we're proposing that at the same time, they're talking to management about doing these changes. And you feel like if, you're, if, if there's too much um, different opinions inside the team, then you will never get support from management. Or you get like, okay, we're going to go with a person's A idea and then person B feels neglected because his idea didn't get through. So I think it's obvious to fir first within a team get going. I'm not saying that nobody does it, but that's just a checklist that you have to um, go through for yourself is step one. Did I talk about this with my team first before I talked about it with a manager? Can you be more um, uh, concrete in, you know, we, we talked about abstract things here, like ideas, this and that. Mm -hmm. Just to illustrate it uh, off the top of your head, could you like provide us with a fictional example of this is what's happening in this situation? And um, yeah, or is it, did no, I no. catch you off guard? No, no, no. Um, I will use a uh, company, I won't say the name because I'm not sure if it's, allowed or not. Um, but in one company, there was one developer who was really into, let's just break things really quickly. Or, or at least let's try to make changes. And if they break other stuff, it's not an, it's not an issue and we will fix it, etc. But the rest of his team was not for that. They were really into, you know, we always have to maintain quality. And if you do a release, make sure nothing else breaks. So they were really far apart mm -hmm. in that. Uh, yeah, they were really on the opposite side of that scale of that spectrum. And at the same time within the company, because I was there involved as an agile coach, management was also working out, okay, how can we be an agile company and stuff? And you felt like, okay, if even within the team, there isn't a conclusion on what the strategy strategy, strategy should be then sooner or later that's going to lead to issues on a more higher level because management is like okay should we uh, promote or should we uh, support foster an environment where we can make changes really quickly then the people who are against that were going to be against all the future changes that would happen does that make it a bit clear? Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, this, this example makes it clearer in terms of, you know, if you don't reach some sort of consensus or approach a consensus within the team, it confuses management as well because they're probably also looking yeah. at the team for guidance. Like, what does the team want to do? Because, you know, you're the expert in what you're doing and they need input, but the input is confusing to them. But let's take it back one step uh, deeper when you first start. Like, the first thing you want to do is... Um, talk inside the team like is the team aligned are you working on the same problem are you want do you want to solve them in the same way so what was happening in this organization then you said you know you had one person who was who wanted to fail fast and you know uh, you know fix it fast you know go for a quick uh, deployments and quick fixes and then the other team uh, and then other members in the team were more um, cautionary they wanted to test more or uh, move slower yeah. How did this play out in the dynamics inside the team and why couldn't they come to a resolution among themselves? Was it because of lack they didn't discuss it or? No, so in the end, we, we, um, they came to a conclusion and they, they moved forward again. But that was just a period where, where I saw there was too much conflict within the team to take 
steps or to take um, to make proposals to the management layer to ask for more widespread changes. And the way we resolved the issue was first making sure in the long term, does everybody see the same solution? Because we were all agreed upon the problem. In that case, the problem usually was the time to deploy took took too long. Um, so they felt like on average, we are working three months for towards a certain um, release of new features. But everybody in the, in the team had the feeling they could do it in a month. So they felt like it's taking three months for something that we can do in one month. And so everybody was agreed on that part. But then the thing is, how do we see the ideal situation work? And do we agree on an ideal situation? And there was also an agreement on, yeah, and if, if this and this and this happens, then we then we, we that ideal is uh, super possible. So I felt like, okay, everybody agrees on the problem. Everybody agrees on the ideal. So the issue is the steps that you take to get there. And then it's just quite clear. Let's take small steps. Let's see if if um, everybody still agrees after a couple of steps and so forth. So in the end, we did resolve the issue, um, but it just took some talking and some, um, how would I say this? Well, initially it took some a lot, it took some sessions and we, we just talked, but then it also took some experimentation. Like um, somebody, like maybe I'm doing right now, was talking too abstract, so we just reserved some time to make some proof of concepts that all the rest of the team could say, "Ah, oh, yeah, I think now I I, I could see this working." Um, so once we had an agreement within the team, like okay, we, everybody kind of agrees that. The ideal solution is is feasible. That's when we could go to management and say we're proposing the following steps. Just out of curiosity, mm -hmm. um, which solution uh, or you know in that spectrum you said yeah. on the one hand you had the the people who saying like let's move fast and break things and we'll fix them as they break and then the other the, you know the more which which approach yeah, one so or was it like a, a something in the middle they met each other in the middle and how did that process go? Yeah, so uh, to give some more context, um, it was a warehouse, um, yeah, not, not a warehouse company, but the software they were building on was for a warehouse where uh, stock pickers were working on, on um, scanners or working with scanners to say, okay, you need to pick these items for this order, mm -hmm. etc. And of course, if something breaks, then it's the entire warehouse that has an issue. Um, mm -hmm. So some people who were already quite some time with the company fully agreed that that's a no-go and the warehouse should always be operational 24-7. The software should always be running smoothly. And the people who were more towards a, uh, let's just iterate fast and if something breaks, we will fix it fast type of deal. They didn't have that, let's say, that, that mindset of um, continuity. And the way we, that they both agreed upon was if we can really detect an issue fast and fix it before even a complaint comes in, then of course they didn't really see the, the issue there as well. But then they were wondering about, is it, 
is it feasible to um, within the same budget that we have to make sure that every time we release something and something breaks we can easily spot it now for me that was a bit too technical but the new guys had a solution that said yeah if you do this and this and this and implement this might not you think they had to do some investments but not that much but in the end they agreed like yeah this is this is a good approach but for me it was a bit too technical because it was about software architecture mm -hmm. and stuff but as a as a coach i didn't really care about the technical solution i just cared about is everybody agreed upon can we move forward with this or not um but in this case it was also very specific about what changes do we want to promote because I was an Agile coach, meaning I went to promote Agile, but if the team couldn't align on that, there were other things we could improve as well without having the team being aligned on that. But the changes we proposed needed to solve an issue that everybody agreed upon, this is an issue. So here the, the underlying issue was it takes too, too much time to release a feature, but we could have also proposed changes that solved uh, the issue of do we deliver value for the stock pickers? Mm -hmm. Are we sure that that's what they want? So we could have also proposed other changes. But for that team, they felt like this is the biggest um, problem that we face is it takes too long to release something. Which then points back to, because um, that's actually a secondary problem, but it, that, that points back to if it takes too long to release something, your feedback loop takes too long, meaning it takes too long to get to know your customer, to, to mm -hmm. validate that what you're solving for your customer is the correct thing. Um, and that's the issue that we talked about in this last session. Mm -hmm. If it takes too long to validate your assumptions, uh, there's still a risk of miscommunication. So. Uh, okay, uh, just one last thing um, uh, about this matter. So in the end, <clears throat> there were uh, different visions which were mutually exclusive and a resolution was reached among the team members. But the only thing that was necessary was simply more communication. Yeah. And it's so simple, but at the same time, it's so difficult because you really have to think that, uh, mind yourself that in the end, everybody wants to move forward. We just need to figure out what are the underlying problems that, that, that aren't being talked about. Because uh, it's so easy to say, oh, we should do continuous deployment or we should do um, code reviews. Okay, those are quite common, of course, already. But it's so easy to say that and it's more difficult to take a step back and just ask a question, why do you want to do that? And then you have the thing like the five whys. I'm not sure if you heard of it, um, but it's pretty common is just ask a question. When, mm -hmm. they, when you get response, ask why. Get a response, ask why. Get a response, ask why. And even that is so simple to understand and still so difficult to do because mm -hmm. people also get tired of having to explain themselves. So it's really about mutual understanding. And um, it's going to sound very ideological, but even something like world peace is achievable if you have mutual understanding and still so, so hard to do. Mm -hmm. So even And even for me, it's on a day-to-day -day basis, I have to keep reminding myself, make sure I understand this person, make sure I understand his or her problem, uh, make sure I understand why management is adverse, make sure why this person wants to do this instead of that. 
and it's so difficult to do and i think it's, it's a human problem but there lies the absolute key to success well if i may um <laughs> you brought you brought something nice right like world peace right um and I think it's not just communication there, it's it's actually it's ideology, because some people would understand, but they want to do things differently. And I'll step back, or I'll, I'll take that one, you know, I'll take it back into organizations or teams where you might have that. It's not always, I know communication is number one, for sure, you know. Um, and, and I agree, in, in, in most aspects of life, it's, you know, usually that's the 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 the, the culprit, right? The, the the reason why there's a lot of issues. But in some other cases, it could be just you know uh, philosophies like uh, ideologies and 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 ways of thinking where uh, some people might understand things, but they simply disagree. It's difficult to convince people. I think sometimes, so yeah, they would do things their true. way, and. They would understand. Okay, we're trying to solve the same thing. You can get them to align on it. Um, how do you deal with that? I mean, one way is like well, this way. I think you need to have good team members. I mean, yeah. people that. I think I also under explained it uh, not so clear, maybe because it's it ties to what Erol asked as well. Is you have an understanding of the same problem and you have an understanding of where you want to go, but there were the the, let's say group A wasn't convinced it was achievable at first. So what I asked the new guys to do was make some more concrete prototypes, something that you can show the other guys with some evidence that it is achievable here. Because they just didn't see how you could achieve it. And, and proof of concept is also quite known already, but that is why you should do a proof of concept. It's just to to, prov to prove to provide evidence. Yeah, <laughs> but to provide evidence like, look, this is this is a real world, um, real case scenario, and it works. But I do right. agree with Matt on this one. Like, um, imagine the the same scenario. You have these two opposing views, which are also they need to be. And this is where the ideology thing that Matt brought up actually fits in perfectly. They are. Uh, mutually exclusive at certain points, and um, at this point, when you bring it down into the into this IT team that's uh, uh, de developing software for the for the warehouse, at a certain point, it really does boil down to the to the people inside the team, whether they have big egos, whether they have insecurities, whether they're there to do their job or you know um, prove prove something. Um, yeah. That's also a part, right? So you were lucky in this case, uh, first of all, that everybody agreed on the problem. I'm, I'm, I don't mean you were lucky. Like the company was lucky that everybody mm -hmm. agree, agreed on the same problem. Could be that uh, people inside the, team, in the, inside the team wouldn't even agree on that. But on top of that, they were decent engineers who were, who were focused on the problem and not on uh, ideologies and um, yep. uh, proving their own point. Well, you, you can't change people directly. I can't make sure that Erol changes his mind or that Matt changes his mind. Um, but I believe in most cases, if you just foster actual conversation and actual mutual understanding, if you try really try to achieve that, you usually 
get quite far because let's say if you have opposing ideologies and to give a classic example, let's say you have communism versus capitalism. If, if you really feel like, okay, there are things that are really opposites of each other, then you could say, let's focus on what do we agree on. And let's say we both agree that everybody has a right to live, that everybody has a right to happiness and stuff. If you start from that, and in, in essence, in IT, if you agree on it's good to release, to have iterations, let's say, or it's good to do code reviews. If you can start on what do we agree on and just test the boundaries there, you usually find that people have more in common than they, than they don't. Okay, that common. settles it for me. Matt, um, if we get the vote on the uh, president for the world, my vote goes to Bart. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> I used to go to Matt. Uh, but uh, you, like you know, the the things that Bart is saying right now, Matt, to me, it sound they sound like more like wisdoms for life that you just bring into a company more than you know. It, it's not really about business at this point anymore. Like it's like a mindset. Well, it, it it's a lot of it, the funny thing is like a lot of common sense, right? That we find that's missing in the workplace, and once we once you put it in words, you're like, well, well of course, yeah, it makes sense. You know, like yeah. How come it's not happening? And um, we find it missing. But yeah, um, but what I brought up, you know, was just, you know, because that's where you, you have sometimes, um, you know, like two sides that wouldn't wouldn't fit. And 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 to me, it's, um, I think I think, yeah. Um, so it's almost like. Yeah, sometimes you might need like some sort of adapter between two two items, right, or two people, or uh -huh. you know, someone that makes things happen. Because you will never be able to convince. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, when we bring argument, you bring uh, proof. Um, it helps, um, but people are built sometimes where some personalities, at least, um, are bits <laughs> what you would call stubborn, um, and you might have to to work with. Well, with a coach, right? Or uh, you might have to have someone on board like all the time, um, just for that purpose, actually. Yeah, like Bart's response was so elegant. Like, well, you focus on the things that they agree on. It's, I mean, it's it's beautiful. Um, it's, like you say, uh, maybe you do need somebody like that around in companies sometimes to to. Well, lubricate things, uh, if you will. Hey, but Bart, um, if you want to uh, wrap up this section and move into the next step, feel free um, because yeah, you, you no, have many more things to say. And I think there we're, was almost... we're lingering on this topic. So No, no, because I think it's good because there's almost an organic segue to, to my next step. So when you first align within your team, uh, your next step is, and I really want to stress this, is make sure that you yourself are comfortable in uh, undertaking this, in um, chase, chasing an, an, an agile implementation, because like we mentioned earlier, uh, it's going to invoke a reaction from somebody somewhere in the company. Somebody is going to be either opposed or uh, will be a proponent. And that's where you also have to understand that sometimes the long way around is uh, more durable than, than a more aggressive approach. 
and then that ties back a bit to what we were just discussing. If you first feel like there are two opposing ideologies and you have to go more into, okay, what do we agree on? And let's build from that. It's going to take some time, you know, and it takes time for everybody's mind to, to, to wrap around a certain issue or a certain solution or how do I feel with this solution? So that takes time, but give everybody that time but also give yourself the time and for yourself understand that it's not going to happen overnight and um, you really have for yourself have to make sure that am i still comfortable doing this because it can be very demotivating if you're trying to make things happen and they don't happen and then it can either be okay you're trying to move too fast or uh, your your approach might be a bit wrong and I'm the first one to say I did a lot of wrong approaches as well, because that's quite how you learn. Um, there are a lot of books about agile transformations and stuff. But in the end, every case is unique and because you're always working with people who are different and nobody fits a certain textbook. So it's always a bit of experimenting and it's always a bit depressing when you see uh, this, this didn't work out or I kind of... Sometimes I thought like, okay, this person is, is becoming a proponent. Um, he's, he's trying to advocate the changes that I'm proposing. And then the next day he completely, um, he completely dropped it, off. There's a 180. Yeah. And so it, for me, that's also depressing. You kind of also have to understand that's how it's going to go. Uh, everybody who's trying something new will always face, it's a basic physics law. Um, Action equals uh, an opposite reaction. So you're gonna you're gonna have to you're gonna have to deal with that. So when when you figure out, okay, within the team we have some common ground where we can build upon, we can propose some changes. Um, what is the next step? I think most people think, yeah, let's then step to management or to my team leader or the CEO if you have a small company and just propose those changes. Um, what I sometimes do first is make sure that within the team can we already do something that we don't need uh, that we don't need an approval of can we already start doing things um, also second part which is on the same step level let's say is if you feel like there is nothing else we can do already in our team within our team uh, try to build report with all your stakeholders if you already have ongoing issues with a manager, with a team leader, try to resolve them first because you're, you're already going to get some pushback. So if you already have three or four topics where you disagree upon, let's not create another topic. Let's first make sure that we can get those other topics minimized or out of the way. So build some more reports with your stakeholders. I'm furiously taking notes by the way. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's sometimes it's it's so easy to get uh, to to get in your daily habit of just doing your work and uh, communicating with your manager as, as you have always done. Um, but that's the thing: if you want to make a change, you can't do it alone. You need other people, so you need to be on a good file with everybody, and not only within your team, um, but also with everybody around the company. As well. So, in in the point, make sure you're comfortable in you know chasing the agile implementation. You're saying um, you need to be able to identify the things that you could do internally inside the team 
without yeah. having external permission or external dependency, right? Yeah. Let's let's say you're depending on another team, but you could already do some preparatory work so that when you got them, like, okay, here are the things we did for this change, which makes the the required energy to get that momentum going, um, you know, lower because you already started. So other people are more likely to jump in. And But you also say now the, the stakeholders who would be um, uh, influenced by this change, make sure that you don't have any ongoing problems <laughs> with them because because of those problems, they might resist your change. Yeah, yeah. And they're a bit linked together as well because um, sometimes if you already do things differently just within your team, they will usually because you want to do them, they will have a good impact. And let's just concrete example. Most teams already do code review. So that's a bit of, a, of an outdated example, but still code reviews is something you can do within your team that you generally don't need approval of because usually somebody outside the team doesn't read code. So what do they care that you, that you read other people's code? So let's say you're, you're a team, you don't do code reviews yet, already do them. Maybe it takes a bit longer to then finish a feature, but I think usually for a code review shouldn't be that much of an impact. But the fact that you're starting doing code reviews will probably lead to less bugs in the future or to a better organized code base. And somebody somewhere outside of your team will notice that. So that will already automatically almost create some report with other people in your organization. So in typical cases, your manager, if by implementing code reviews, your manager sees, hey, this team is, is um, producing less bugs or is delivering features faster, you will already have a step. Um, you will already have a, a positive, you already scored positive points with that manager. So that's why I first focus on what can we already do within the team, uh, more or less to already build some report with other people, but also uh, to make sure that you're leading the by changes example. you're gonna yeah leading by example that's exact the term i was thinking more when you when you set the second point like make sure you yourself are comfortable in chasing this agile implementation or this can we just call it the change like mm -hmm. the the, mm -hmm. the change that leads to more agility so you you feel comfortable in that did you are you trying to do something that's impossible or you don't have the capacity for it or you're going to work yourself into burnout to, to get... Is that not part of like making sure you don't take, uh, as we say in, in Dutch, te veel hoi op je vork nemen, which how do you say it in English? Like, um, uh, like you, you take on too much, yeah. more than you yeah, can indeed. handle. And indeed the, the burnout part, which you say, what you're saying, it's because you're trying, you have a certain expectation, like I'm going to propose changes and I'm going to make my own life better, but also the life of my colleagues better. And then when things don't happen or they don't happen as you expected, or they take too long to happen, it's really demotivating. And it's something you have to kind of get accustomed to. And I think it's a, mm -hmm. a good analogy analogy is um, being a salesman if you go knocking on doors doors if you go knocking on doors if you go from door to door let's say you're trying to sell shoes you, you're going to get a lot of no responses and if you can't handle that if you feel like this is, for me this is too too uninspiring always these no's then you're gonna quit that business sooner or later so the people who um, excel in that are the people who don't take the nose too personally or who don't let the nose mm -hmm. affect them 
but who just strive for that for those yeses. And even if you have one yes on 500 door knocks, that one yes motivates them to do another 500 door knocks. Mm-hmm. So, and this is, quite, this is a bit similar to to um, trying to make changes happen. You're going to get a lot of no's, but every yes you should celebrate as a victory and then recharge yourself for the upcoming no's. So there's just something you have to kind of realize, like, am I, am I up for that? And just something I, I give as an advice for people who, who are like motivated. So, cause in the past I also gave courses and at every course there were people who were like big fan of this. How do I continue? And I usually, I don't want to, to decrease their enthusiasm, but I want to temper their expectations. Like, um, make sure that you are comfortable with dealing with no's and that you don't sometimes the higher the expectation the bigger the the fall if you see the, the yeah. expectation but i i want to uh, also mention like i was always when i you know um trying to uh summarize what you were saying i missed on one thing which you actually said and that is uh, take small steps yep so taking small steps i think is in is in uh, it's the code word that unlocks all the doors within Agile, I think, because taking a small step produces small evidence, which then uh, proves a next step. So um, either Agile practices themselves, like sprints can be considered as small steps, but also producing changes in the company are easier done by small steps. It's easier to ask somebody to change half a degree than to change 15 degrees. Do you, and um, I'm, I'm not sure, um, I'll, uh, I'll get med involved in this one. Do you think that taking small steps is, a, um, is the result of patience as a, you know, as a personality trait or something like a skill that one can train on, that it is a result of patience? For me, um actually two things first one is for everybody who's listening and who's more interested in this there's a talk um which is called agile is dead or at least that's a part of a bigger talk agile is dead by dave thomas and he really goes in basically the same things that we're saying right now just really condensed and i think that part is around 20 minutes but this conclusion is um just take the smallest step you can measure the impact, and then use that information to take your next step. Um, For me personally, it's more about risk management because the smaller the step, the smaller the impact, the smaller the negative downside will be. And especially in changing the way of working, all the good that you do can be undone really quickly by having one Mm -hmm. big mistake, let's say. So the smaller the step, the smaller your marginal margin of error will be and the smaller the, the bad outcomes um i think it but, also makes sense from the perspective that you don't want to be arrogant so arrogance leads to um disconnection from reality and if you if you're pushing for a big change this means you are so 100 sure of what you're going to do you're willing to bet a lot and to me, that that stems for, forward from um, either you're a genius 
or you're someone who thinks they're a genius. <laughs> but in both cases, there's arrogance involved in saying, I know this is going to work. And if you're inside that tunnel vision, you might not uh, see reality anymore, which would make that change potentially disastrous. And like you say, if you work with small steps, what you do is you validate these steps as you go. Therefore, you are more in touch with reality and it does require more patience, but also humility to be able to say, okay, I might be wrong about this. That is the mindset you you set out. Like, I'm going to try this small change. If it doesn't work, you know, it didn't cost yep. us much. We didn't. And there's also this thing about you're not doing it alone. You need to convince other people. And for some people, it's difficult to, to change their minds. So it's better to tackle that problem bit by bit and to ease them into the, the mind change than to force it. If you go in, if you go in too strong, you're going to um, elicit the opposite reaction. Uh, and for instance, if you have concrete evidence of something, let's say I know for a fact, let's say a murder case, and let's say there's concrete evidence that as a police investigator, you know who did it, but there's still the part of convincing the jury and because maybe the evidence that you think that proves it, maybe the jury doesn't think that proves it. So there's always that, that aspect of you have to convince other people as well, even though you fully understand the evidence and you know there's no other way, this is the answer, you still have to convince other people. And that convincing part, there's no clear one path to it. So I usually think just do it in small steps and make them see the light over time instead of dropping everything at once because it's going to overwhelm people. Especially when people, and let's take it back to, to IT, especially when people never worked in a proper agile environment, they, they might be scared a bit because I feel like I'm going to lose some sense of control. And if you then ease them into it and let them see that you're, you don't have to, exert control because it's going to work either way um, then they feel more comfortable in letting go like self-driving car i think most people are still a bit scared about it but 50 years ago people were probably even more scared about it so by slowly yeah, i know people changes, still don't trust a microwave yeah <laughs> so yeah, but okay okay i'm, I'm gonna well, challenge you a little bit on this one if so, i could if i oh, could go ahead just... You know, just chime in a bit. Um, so, to me, when we talk about small steps, I think Agile is about steps uh, and the S in steps at the end, right? The plural, multiple steps, not just one step. So, having multiple steps, whether small or big, that's something to be decided. I think what 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 uh, Bart mentioned was, you know, uh, it really puts the um, Put the formula to it, right? Meaning you look back and then you decide what the next step would be or how big the next step should be. Uh, I would caution people on breaking things too much because sometimes it happened to me. When you make it too much, too much for smaller steps, then it becomes a uh, on efficiency because you have processes. For example, if you have to document every step that you do, then the smaller steps, the more documentation you have to do. Mm-hmm. And, and and yeah, I think it's the, the summary of it is what you mentioned, right? That, that's the formula to it, right? The key is that you have to 
um, so first has to be like multiple steps, but you have to judge your next step based on the history that you've that you've done to find your, you know, your your optimal um, uh, bite size per se. Yeah, and if I can take you into deep water for a second, like what Matt is talking about is also in in microeconomics is what they call a transaction cost. Like I can do something, but it's gonna the cost of doing that, so let's say I'm going to buy an apple, but if I first have to take a bus, then a train, um, then another train, just to buy that apple, the price of the apple is one euro, but the transaction cost is that much higher. And mm-hmm. so when you're working with people, there's also a transaction cost because you have to talk to everybody. You have to make sure that everybody's aligned on the change. You have to make sure the change that we want to propose might be a small change, but there's so much needed to do that, that it might not be worthwhile so you always have to take into account that transaction cost as well because if you're gonna ask a hundred small changes the total of all those changes will also have quite an transaction cost so and the the overhead of of a change yeah, is like you know in the meds example there is said you know there's this documentation thing there's this like you said there's the convincing people there's a communication thing if you can quantify that in any way then you should also be able to know what the minimum amount of change needs to go into that price you paid. So you don't say, you know, like I literally spent three weeks with meetings and documentation on for changing a button color because that's a horrible, <laughs> that's a, that's a horrible yeah. investment. Uh, but I, you know, another thing that Med said got me thinking, uh, you know, you, you can't break things down too much. And then there are those things that appear to be, unbreakdownable like there are things that are big changes and they need to happen in one go or it's not going to happen yeah um i can't think of an example off the top of my head um but uh yeah it's too bad i can't think of an example of the but i we've been in those situations where you know you're, you're talking with your team about something and you say you know the, the everybody knows it needs to be done uh, it has to happen in one go. Like you need to rip off the bandaid, um, but it keeps getting postponed and postponed because uh, it's it's risky or there's risk involved or there's time commitment involved. So, wh- what's your opinion on those situations? Yeah. So that's the second part of the deep water stuff I, w- I wanted to talk about. Is so you have that, that transaction cost, like that overhead, as you mentioned. Uh, that also leads to a first best solution and a second best solution, which are coincidentally also mm-hmm. microeconomic topics. But what it means is there's a, there's a certain solution that overall will be the best solution, which will provide the most value for everybody. But due to constraints, due to those transaction costs or other limitations, it's just not possible to do that. And then you have people who feel you should always strive for the first best solution. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a bit not pragmatic because you're going to do more harm than good when you're trying to push it. And even in the cases where you do, uh, where you are able to break down those barriers and limitations, um, even in those cases, I think they're very rare. Um, so you have a second best solution, meaning overall, it's not going to be net positive for everybody but this one is at least feasible okay and I usually advise to go for that then because then at least you have that like that one yes in 50 doors that you knocked it's better to implement a small change might not be the exact thing you wanted 
But um, okay, so basically, what you're saying you is to... perfection is the enemy of finished. Yeah, and you have to uh, make understand that there's within an agile change, there is no finished state. So you can keep improving and keep improving. So there is no end state where you should end up. So but uh, no, case, I, what I meant to say was, you're, there's this thing called analysis paralysis, but there mm-hmm. might also be such a thing as you know um, perfection uh, paralysis where um, your uh, obsession with achieving the perfect outcome that you don't consider the cost that goes into it and you block progress. It's like you say, how much effort is it worth to go get that apple? If it's going to cost you a million dollars to get that apple, but you can have a pear for 10 cents, just eat the pear, right? Yeah, indeed, indeed. And This is the um, second best solution thing that you might not get uh, exactly what you want because, no, you could get exactly what you want, but what is the cost that you're paying for getting that? Yeah, and a concrete example is um, if you are in a context where you can very easily or very you should be able to get very quickly user feedback because let's say you're working in a in a b2c context you have have a product that actual consumers buy and there are tens of thousands of consumers who buy your product you should in theory be able to get a lot of feedback from those customers Um, worked in a company where that was not the case they had a lot of consumers but due to constraints, they were not able to directly ask them, what do you think of this product? And um, in, that, in that company, at least everybody was agreed upon we should get more feedback because we're selling stuff and we're actually not fully sure is this actually what people want to buy or there is no better alternative. So they have to buy from us, which is okay in a business context for on the short term, but on the long term, some competitors will arise. And so at least we were agreeing on that. Then the first best solution would be, okay, let's get the customer their feedback. But that was just not possible, even from a legal point of view, um, that was not really possible. So in that case, there were two thoughts. Some people were saying we should get that feedback nonetheless and just ignore the law on that part. And maybe we can find some loopholes. Um, but the second best solution in that case was let's first gather feedback internally. Let's start dog feeding our own uh, software. Let's get people from all departments to test out our own software. It wasn't ideal because it's still not a consumer, but it's still a bit better because it's now involving more people. So in that case, we went for the second best one. And then you see the product managers learning how to how to deal with feedback and then you saw their eyes opening like yeah i i understand now because these are things i didn't think about myself they thought initially they know everything they needed to know they they have all the information already inside their head and at least that opened their eyes and yeah maybe we should get more influence and that started things rolling again for the next uh, improvement step so that's the first and second best solution is don't always try to go for the the single best option, but just keep your mind open. Like, okay, if this is not possible, what else is possible that in the end will get us there? And that's the thing again, like the long-term approach, uh, maybe as a, as a, if I have to wrap up some, some advices, a long-term approach is always better than, you no, know, it's not always better, but might be better 
than a short-term approach. Sometimes a long way around is better than a direct path. Um, mm-hmm. And I think most people are, are too eager, want to go for that direct path, want to see a lot of success. I think it's accepting that okay, it's going to take some time. Sometimes, sometimes a long way around is needed to get all the minds aligned. Um, I think those two are, are already critical if you want to start. Yeah. Well, yeah, everything everything you say, I mean, it, it do, just does sort of boil down to, um, you know, l'enfer c'est les autres. You need to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to uh, work with other people and convince other people. And uh, because you're convinced you are right, nobody's trying to convince other people of what they think is wrong. Um, and the, the, for me, the, the major... Uh, warning flag I want to put there is you shouldn't be so sure that you're right is also an, an interesting thing to take along. You might be wrong. That's something you always need to keep in mind. You might be wrong. The moment you close that door, you might as well just, you know, it's going to derail. Um, because all these things that you're talking about, like people willing to see and accept the second best solution also relies on them to be realists and reasonable people. And actually, in, in uh, one of our earlier episodes, we, we, we had another agile coach, um, Balash Hussein, who he talked about, you know, companies and values and, um, I mean, company values and alignment of, of uh, uh, employees. And I think um, the, the type of person you attract to a company with your culture and the people you want to keep there, they all feed into this. Like, if, if your company culture is toxic toward um, uh, receiving criticism or that when you want to propose a change you need to tiptoe around it it shows that you know there could be more at work than simply um one individual or you know some individuals left some um their attitude resonates uh through the company but i think this also feeds in like if you want to make sure that you're company can implement agility it sort of touches on that as well right like what how do we deal with people asking questions like you say the five whys if i'm sitting in front of the ceo and he's giving a presentation about something and i start asking why 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 well the way that person is going to respond is going to trickle down as well yeah Um, but like you say again you know if you can sort of carry this inside your team aside from the organization, because that was one of the first points you made. Like, where are you inside this organization? Are you in management? Are you in middle management? Are you in, in inside the team, like doing the, the executive work, etc.? So, um, well, I'm, you know, uh, I'm taking things uh, too far off from the topic. So uh, we have two things. So one is your team aligned. So identify where you are then is your team aligned on, on the problem? Try to align on a solution. Then secondly, are you comfortable in implementing this? And we, we touched on a lot of things. Like, is this feasible? Are you taking small steps? Um, are you uh, bringing in all the stakeholders? Are you leading by example? Is there like a third point or are there many more points? Reason I'm asking is because um, we're, we're already uh, running up to our one hour, but... Uh, yeah, it's amazing how, how fast. Or, yeah, it's, it's amazing how fast time flies. I mean, you're talking like this. Um, I'm sure if we I, just let you explain things, it would have gone perfect. No, just, no, no. Just too many questions uh, that we ask. Yeah, there's there's also so much to talk about because there's not a clear 
path towards success. And otherwise I could just give you the bullet points and you just publish them and everybody would have already done them. Um, then there wouldn't be need for an agile coach or a scrum master. Right? So there are, the there are a couple more posters. Yeah, there are a couple agile, more agile posters. <laughs> yeah, I could maybe try to sell them. Uh, as a, it's, a, it's a good business idea. <laughs> um, what I w wanted to say was there are a couple more steps, but it's not like there's a full, complete list of steps. So um, maybe for another session, there's some couple more things I need to think about. But at a certain point, it's like just reiterating all the previous steps and making sure the alignment is there, making sure the, and then, then I mean alignment about what is the issue that we want to resolve. Is there still a good report with everybody? Then it's just repeating those steps. Um, and it's not really steps, it's more like uh, checklists that you have to make sure of, because uh, otherwise it's easy to get derailed. And once you're, you get started and you get some successes, you will see that it will flow into other successes. It will also flow into a lot of failures. Um, but that's, like I said, that's the, that's, that's the whole um, thing that you need to make sure that, that you are capable of, of handling those failures. But anyway, um, it starts to lead its own life and you also see you, you're not doing it alone anymore. Maybe in the beginning, it will take some more energy out of you. You'll have to push the cart a bit harder, but you will see over time with each success, there is somebody who's gonna stand up and say, okay, I wanna help push this further, or I'm gonna start implementing things in my team as well. So it's gonna lead its own life a bit. And it also, it sooner or later, it will impact some people. Um, it will impact the entire organization, what I wanted to say. Um, so it's not like, hey, you are f I, I still have five more steps to say. There are some couple things that I want to say that you will face eventually. But I think with the, the points we already gave here, okay. that's already a nice way to get started. Can I just ask one more uh, practical question um, since we got you here? On the, on the topic of communication. So people uh, come in all sorts of varieties and some people are by nature more communicative, if not to say talkative or <laughs> in, in some mm -hmm. cases don't know how to shut up. Um, and then you have people who are more, you know, uh, introverts, they will not uh, contribute as much or uh, for this could be for a variety of reasons. Some could have to do with the fact they don't have anything to say or they have something to say, but they don't, they feel awkward saying these things. But the, the main question is inside a team where you have this imbalance between, um, you have these protagonists, if you will, who are, who are always seem to be always talking. And I myself, I'm really guilty. Of that. I'm like, I seem, I, I do not have a shut up button when I'm in a meeting and the people have told me and it's my new year's resolution is going to start talking less in meetings. So we'll see how far that goes, but how do we get the other people to speak up and not, you don't, and you're, you're, you don't end up in meetings where it's just like void. Nobody's saying anything. Yeah. It's also something I really had to learn, uh, in the beginning of my career when I wasn't even involved in, in, in HR coaching. Um, is the act of listening. And usually if you're in a conversation and you don't say anything, the opposite side will start talking most of the time, even introverts or not. Everybody usually likes to talk about him or herself so that there's a response that will come automatically. So 
I sometimes I think if you want to talk less, because I'm also guilty of that, and especially if it's topics that I am interested in, I can keep on rambling. Um, I have to mind myself instead of talking less, just try to listen more. And if you if you feel like um, if you give somebody else the feeling that you're actually listening to him, then they will talk themselves. They will start giving more information. Let's say or sharing more information. And can be a simple question. It is every day there is an opportunity when you ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? Usually we say that as a, as a general courtesy, but if you genuinely ask that question and if somebody just responds with an okay yeah, and leaves like, it at that. How are you really doing, man? How yeah. are you really doing? <laughs> yeah. You have that approach, of course, but it can also be like if somebody answers okay and just ask if, just a small other question like how is your... How was your morning commute or what did you you do yesterday? (laughs) Why is it okay? (laughs) Okay, why? Just a small small additional question, but an an honest question, like an an oprecht, like Mm -hmm. you really need to Sincere, yeah. Yeah. But for me, basically, less talking is actually more listening. And I feel that works if I mind myself, okay, I really need to listen to this person. I really need to be involved. Let him be involved in a conversation that usually triggers me shutting up and the other person. I, I, be, I begrudgingly wrote down more listening. <laughs> <laughs> but and, yeah, yeah, I have a question, Bart. So mm-hmm. um, what you'll see is, for example, during a stand-up, um, we'll go over... In, you know, in some organizations, you'll go individually over each member. It's like, you know, what, what do you have to say? What have you been up to? What is the status update? Do you think this is a good approach to people? Like, is this communication or does this foster? I, I feel like it's it's not really, it's, it's a formality. Yeah, so you, you already said it in the beginning. During stand-up, you go over each individual person, which is, of course, what everybody does in a stand-up. But the actual point of doing a stand-up is measuring where are we in our goal usually the goal is a sprint uh, but that's could also be a project but where are we right now and if everybody actually um, has has that meeting purpose in mind the stand-up becomes something different and uh, it's it's one of the most fun things I like to do in the beginning of a new coaching assignment because everybody already does a stand-up so we do the general stand-up and then I just ask that question, how are we, and usually it's within the context of a sprint. My question then is, how likely are we to achieve the sprint? And that means usually a sprint means achieving, putting all the tickets into done. Um, that's another topic, but just that question, how close are we to achieving the sprint? How well are we doing? Then you see everybody's minds recalculating because they mm-hmm. usually talked about what, they, what did I do yesterday? might not even be related to the sprint, but then I see everybody recalculating and then it's more like a group discussion because then somebody says, yeah, we need to do these tickets. Oh yeah, I heard about that person that he will deliver this. And so the stand-up for me doesn't have to be an individual uh, tour, but more like a team discussion, what needs to happen to get the sprint going or to get the sprint finished. Mm-hmm. And once you understand that, it's more like, okay, let's just sit together quickly. What needs to happen today? Uh, Oh yeah, I cannot proceed with this today because yesterday I had this issue. Okay, I can solve that. So the things of what did I did, what did I, what did I do today? What did I do yesterday? What am I stuck with? That's the essence. But everybody's so focused on those questions that even during this 
during the stand-up, people are thinking about what am I going to say in the stand-up and not listening to one another. So that's that wow. communication part is... is uh, I would propose that, um, you know, the, there could be a topic like... Um, how how should I frame this best? Like um, m- impactful meetings, but even pronouncing the sentence, <laughs> it feels like wrong, you know? Uh, so talking about how to make meetings better, um, it, it it almost sounds like parody of, of you know, where, where we've come in life. I'm, I'm just going to talk about myself a little bit here. Like, you know, uh, as a kid, you'd watch these movies where, you know, people are working in a in a corporate uh, environment, and there'd be, they it would ha- there there would be this um, absurdity about working in a corporate environment. And here we are, or here I am, uh, maybe twenty thirty years down the road, and asking myself the question: How can we make meetings more productive? How can we make meetings? more impactful how can we make them more interesting so either my life completely went downhill or i uh changed into a different person over the past 30 years <laughs> yeah. i think this is an interesting topic like really it's something i would like to sit down and you know uh discuss with people like how do you make meetings uh better yeah and uh, there's there's already a lot of, of useful information you can find because you're not the only one who's who's thinking about that. And one of the most common topics that that pops up is what is the purpose of the meeting and state that first, make that clear for everybody. This is the purpose. Uh, but then you also have an issue where too many people are in a meeting where uh, there's a lot of listening being done, but especially now when working from home, if you're in an online meeting, um, it feels like, at least for me, it feels like additional effort that I need to provide to pay attention to the meeting because I'm also very easily distracted. So for me, it takes a lot of, it takes more energy to do an, to, to an online meeting. Um, aside from that, so what is the purpose of a meeting? Make sure the right people are invited. But even then, you might have people who are not interested in the meeting, even though you feel they are necessary. For instance, within a team, we sometimes do a feature brainstorm, like where the product owner says, okay, this is a problem I want to solve. What are your suggestions? There are just people who don't like doing that or don't feel interested in doing that. That's a separate issue that you you can possibly solve separately. But the fact that they're not interested in the meeting, there's no fixed solution. You cannot make somebody interested in the meeting. So that's another part part where you can have a meeting where everybody complains, like, I don't like this meeting. But it's not because the meeting is set up badly or that the topic is not clear. It's just that they're not interested in participating. There's there's something you need to solve separately from let's make meetings better. But there's also an issue that, that happens. So you can't make every meeting perfect for everybody. We should have a meeting about this. Hey, uh, Matt, uh, do you have uh, any final questions uh, for Bart before I uh, give the the final remarks to him? Um, No, I'm trying to process the meeting part, but no, I'm sure I'm going to have some more questions. So once we end end this, I'm going to call Bart. Hey, Bart, how about this? This and this and that. You can send me a meeting invite. Our listeners, they don't know that uh, there is this this pre- 
uh, recording and post-recording session, which sometimes, you know, we, we get into actually very interesting topics. Um, and we go, oh, we should have recorded this. Oh, there's been another episode, this and that. But uh, there you go. Um, Bart, so since you were on the podcast, which is now a long time ago, I think it was uh, one of the first episodes of, of our first season. Mm-hmm. You were one of our first guests. Um, Matt actually came up with a with a new change, and I didn't oppose it because I thought it was we were aligned on that. And Matt's change was we should ask our guests to um, summarize the episode. Yeah, and therefore you didn't get this question the, the previous time, but here we go. Can you summarize the episode for us? Yeah. So episode two of the of the of my subject here um, was basically. How do you get started with implementing something agile with something, some agile changes? And what are the, the first steps you can take and what are the things you need to be mindful of? Um, personally, I thought I was going to cover more ground. So I'm already inviting myself for uh, episode three. But um, that for me was just important to give everybody at least the very basics of what uh, do we need to do? What do we need to be mindful of? And also, please note that uh, similar to last time, we didn't already talked about solutions or concrete changes. It was more like discover first what is the problem, why are we facing these problems, um, what do we need to, what do we need to make sure that we understand before we come up with a solution. So we're still after two episodes, still talking about the problem space. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's the number one issue is people come with solutions. We need to do this and it will cover all our problems instead of thinking about each problem individually. So as a recap for this episode is mostly episode one was talking about what is the actual problem. Episode two is what is the pre-flight checklist that you need to do before you're going to start solving those problems. Wow. Okay. And when you put that way, I really uh, look forward to finding out what's going to be in the flight phase. And then probably we need to talk about turbulence and uh, crash landings <laughs> as well. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, it's already very, very good topics coming up then, yeah. Bart, um, should people want to reach out to you? Where can they find you? Uh, easily on LinkedIn, just search for Bart Gerskens and I'm not sure there are other people called Patiaskins, but it will be something. It will be either functional analyst or Scrum master. I will I will tag you in the in the LinkedIn post because you know LinkedIn is the only place where we actually advertise the episode. I don't know why. Maybe it's, it's a change that needs to happen. But okay. Yeah. Uh, and master actually, met. oh, yeah. uh, sorry. I wanted to say so. I, I, last time I got some people on LinkedIn messaging me like, "Hey, um, I listened to your podcast, but I wanted to know some more concrete." steps to take but i fear like they're gonna send me another message like hey i listened to episode two but i still want more concrete steps to take <laughs> so i'm uh, looking forward to those responses as well awesome okay uh med where can people find you um best way to find my contact info would be on uh my website medmed.com m-a-d-m-e-d Dot com. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, my name is Errol Baikal. I'm on, uh, you can find more about me on Baikal.be, B-A-Y-K-L.be. This was a really lovely episode and it's a very 
precious guest who is very well informed and is a very good speaker as well. Thank you for being here, Bart. Thank you for being here, Matt. Catch you guys later. Bye-bye.